0: Washington, D.C. April, 2023. For years now, the Epoch Times has been investigating the events that transpired on January 6, 2021. Recently, our investigative team gained access to tens of thousands of hours of surveillance footage from Capitol Hill.
1: About 120.
0: In all, we had access to more than 1,700 camera angles and 40,000 hours of
1: videos. Our
0: team, headed by investigative reporter Joe Hanneman, has been going through the security videos at an undisclosed location in search of long-awaited answers. Not just January 6th, no. includes other stuff
1: as well. So there's, There's quite a bit in the universe, and we've only looked, so far, we've only looked at January 6th. 45 pages, here it is right here. Donald Trump has been indicted.
0: Hombro day for the country. ...over dozens of trials of the January 6th. As you know, Trump has now pleaded not guilty. How will history remember this moment? Today, we sit down with Joe Hanneman to discuss his discoveries, that will help paint a fuller picture of January 6th, a day that changed American life. Joe, good to be with you again.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. We, of course,
0: did the last documentary together on January 6th, the real story of January 6th, and we now have the unreleased footage. So I guess just first of all, what is this unreleased footage? Why has nobody seen this before?
1: We've heard a lot of discussion over the past few months of 41,000 hours or 44,000. Some people have used higher figures. Originally, they talked about 14,000 hours of security video. That was in the possession of the Capitol Police.
0: And so, I mean, what's what's the process of viewing the videos? And, of course, we have some with us. What's the process of actually getting them?
1: Well, we went in. uh, There's an undisclosed location that they had us come in that had video terminals that were run with proprietary software that the Capitol Police uses with their network of more than 1,700 cameras across their uh, campus. So you can search a lot of different ways, uh, and they had footage that we could look at from the beginning of January up through January 7th. So it wasn't just January 6th.
0: In terms of totality, uh, were we able to see everything? How long did we have with it? And I mean, of course, we have some with us right now uh, for our viewers. This is this is not all of it. We might have to do more in the future. But in terms of totality, was everything made available? And to what degree are we able to get it?
1: Um, there are some clips that were withheld for security reasons. Uh, I don't know this, you know, specifically exactly which clips have. Which are reasons given for withholding, but overall, we were given most of what we requested, uh, and it's really just a it's really just a small piece of what we're after. We've requested more than 90 clips, and you know, so far I think we maybe have 40, uh, and we're still planning to go back and do more research.
0: All right. So we'll go into some of it now. Then
1: we'll go to the first clip. As you can see here the the crowd started streaming over, uh, well before President Trump was finished speaking.
0: So this uh, is after, this is while Trump is still speaking at the Ellipse. Yes. The crowd is moving from the Ellipse to the Capitol.
1: Yes. There was a sizable crowd, on the West Front, the, the Peace Monument there, is where many of them gathered, um, while he was still speaking. So you know as you can see there are certainly multiple hundreds, if not thousands, when you look. Up and down uh, the entire areas that they're walking there, so this was probably about ten to one uh, as this crowd gathered, and it was a short time after that that uh, we had the, the first breach of a police line out of this crowd.
0: So, Joe, w- which side of the Capitol building is this on? As I understand that there were a few, there were a few different sides, and you had different incidents at different sides. What's this side?
1: This is the west front. So. Um, most of the violence occurred on the west side of the Capitol. Now there, there was some significant action on the east side where the, the historic Columbus doors are, uh, but here on the west side, and this is the side where the, uh, the inauguration takes place and where the oath of office is administered to an incoming president, uh, and that looks out on this view. So uh, we have been told by investigators that once this crowd fully filled in with the people from the Ellipse and the speech, they were in the neighborhood of 250,000 people surrounding the entirety of the Capitol, but much higher than was told to, to the public up at the beginning of this.
0: So we see this video camera moving. What is this camera? Is this us moving it, or is this how it is filmed? What is this?
1: All of these cameras are monitored in a police command center in the Capitol Police Building on D Street in Washington. And they have the ability to pick any camera and to zoom in very close. Some of these have very powerful lenses on them. And so when you see the camera shift and zoom, that's a police officer who sees something or uh, is looking for something when they zoom in. I see. Uh, and so we so have, this is being manually operated. Yes, then. and so. we we have to use whatever they're zooming in on because we have no way to control uh, or look at anything else while it's zoomed in.
0: So they have these bicycle, these very small little gates set up. We just saw the first breach take place. Why is this significant? Why are we showing this?
1: Well, the the... These racks um, are not particularly sturdy. They do link together, but as you can see there, how easy it is for somebody to topple one of these. And and they certainly were. And throughout the day, there were protesters carting these things off and hiding them away or stacking them, uh, what you would probably call a a light defense.
0: Well, look, what is it? Four police officers, it looks like, on the other side of this thing. Several, Several more coming in.
1: You know. Yes, and then you, you can see um, those first people that arrived, that they were not ones who were over at the speech, many of them. So they, they are different in that regard than, you know, that, that huge mass than that was the main, over at the, the, the body of the crowd. Exactly.
0: So again, as you mentioned, this is while Trump is still speaking. What, what do we know about this crowd here in particular? What makes them unique?
1: Well, the one thing we saw at kind of at the vanguard... The leading edge of this uh, had a lot of agitators, I mean, these were people that seemed prone to violence, uh, got inflamed easily and in the end took action to topple uh, the defenses and to, to push at this small group of police officers who it certainly appears were not prepared for a rush uh, of the crowd and they filled in very quickly once the, that first breach occurred. It
0: it doesn't look like there's any violence yet, so I mean, what what are we watching?
1: Well, there was violence up at that first set of barriers, and uh, a police officer got knocked back and got a concussion. Really? She got pushed uh, by one of the the protesters. So there was some violence there, but once those were down, it was just like a gallop that that entire crowd was off to the races, and they headed up closer into the Capitol. Well, this particular view that you're looking at is up high on the dome it gives you a pretty good big picture and the difficulty we had is that much of the time the camera was not zoomed in on the crowd. So when we tried to zoom in uh, digitally, it loses its resolution. But we were able to see that the first trouble started on the south end of that plaza uh, just after one o'clock. There were some fist fights that broke out. Uh, they had There were some protesters that pushed at or lashed out at some of the police. It was fairly limited in scope, um, but a short time after that happened, uh, we saw the police uh, fire munitions directly at protesters on that, that south end. There was a series of, I believe, four shots, and that's how things started. And very shortly after that, the munitions were launched at the other side, the north side of that plaza, and that's when things got ugly.
0: So you're saying a small number of individuals began striking the police, and that was what, the tr- what triggered the whole thing. The police answered with pretty much broad use of munitions against the entire crowd, is that accurate?
1: Well, when it, when it started, I, you know I, whether they were prepared for that or not, I don't know, but it was, it, it was a small number, now they were hyped up and it looked like they were there to cause trouble. Like they were trying to instigate something with the police or with other uh, other protesters. It, it was limited, however, once the munitions started flying, then the entire crowd got angry and and all bets were off. 130.
0: Where's the ambulance for this guy on the lower west?, I'm transferring right now. He's following me. You know the way. Come this out. 130, copy. 413 is en route. 130, we need this ambulance. We're about to lose control of the crowd down here. Copy that. 413, your ETF. ITF 43, ambulance is coming in down the drive, getting the fence
1: Copy that, sir. 13, 13. 413,
0: engine 13, medic 13 on scene, walking them over to the
1: cervical at this time. 105, be advised that the person on the northwest side of the Upper West Terrace is now receiving CPR. Have the ambulances come down the northwest sidewalk. Ambulances come right, down to the, ambulances to the northwest sidewalk. Ambulances respond to the northwest
0: sidewalk. 61B, I have an uh, AED on the north side, front of stairs, west front. Copy, sir. 130, they are bringing the patient up to the ambulance right now. They are refusing to come down. One zero two. The
1: group is into the ambulance up to the ambulance up the Northwest Rod. Eighteen is coming down now. MS Eighteen is coming now. So the uh, first protester who died on January sixth, Benjamin Phillips, uh, Pennsylvania, and he collapsed uh, behind the scaffolds on the west side uh, at just about one o'clock, and. When the ambulance would not come down to them, ostensibly out of fear of the crowds, the, the bystanders that were doing CPR put him on a section of bicycle rack barrier, and they literally ran with him up to the rescue squad, which by my count had to be close to 100 yards away. Uh, and there's a woman struggling him on, as they're carrying him, continuing to do chest compressions.
0: I mean, I understand the initial reports, you know, we reported as well. People were claiming that he had gone down when the police were firing munitions. So it looks like this, it, this contradicts that, it seems. He,
1: uh, there were stories initially that he was far out in that West crowd that we, you know, that we will be looking at. And uh, what we've seen on this video is that he went down and collapsed and was getting medical attention well before... There was any police use of force on that west front.
0: So, of course, you know we have the time stamps, We, of course, have the video. And so we do know that this happened prior to the police using munitions then. We yes. We can say that now. Yes.
1: And he was being loaded into the ambulance um, kind of in between the first uses of force uh, by the police, the munitions. So uh, it, it proceeded. So, so it. in
0: other words, as he's being loaded in, that's when the munitions were going off.
1: Probably while they were carrying him up. One of the things we took a look at through uh, these bird's eye view cameras was what started the trouble. This huge crowd filling in, uh, be- even before this all happened, before President Trump's speech was over. Uh, and what we saw was some fisticuffs along a small number of, of agitators uh, right along where the police were gathered. This was before any barriers were erected. Uh, and then the police uh, used munitions. They let off four shots directly into the crowd, and this was uh, about 10 after one. This was really the first engagement uh, by the police with munitions.
0: So so confirming the timestamp, we of course watched the crowd, you know, the, the people at the front pulled down the barriers, broke through, someone pushed one of the officers, They've now gone up to the Capitol building, and now we're watching the very first instance of violence take place. Yes,
1: and and it was, you know, the, like I said, the, the police were reacting to some of the the early scuffling with some of these folks.
0: Unit six, I got a crowd fighting with officer, pushing, going for textiles. I have given warning of chemical munitions. I need the less and lethal team positioned above me to identify the agitators and start deploying. Launch! That's launching munitions?
1: Yes, that was the go-ahead to start using the explosive munitions. And you will you see right there, uh, right at the front. And, of course, there's there's an immediate reaction from the crowd. The first germination of some of the anger that we saw spread through this much larger group in, in a pretty short time period.
0: So the trigger for this was a fairly small number of people then. But we, but we can say that people in the crowd did in fact initiate it
1: though. Yes, the, there was violence. The, the, really a couple of men started, they got up to approach the police and really went right at them. But uh, when the police responded with, uh, with pretty heavy force and it was followed shortly after, with uh, much heavier force and in greater numbers.
0: And so what we watched, in other words, couple individuals first attacks launched by them Uh, police respond with a much broader response on the broader crowd it appears and then that draws in much a much larger crowd into the conflict and so then you watch things devolve from there it seems.
1: Well about three minutes after those shots were fired uh, a large number probably more than a hundred Metropolitan Police Department officers came in from under the scaffolds and they went out and set up barriers and pushed the entire crowd back to try to establish um, a skirmish line. Uh, so that's what you're seeing here. They're using the bicycle racks, trying to get the crowd back using uh, uh, using chemical Auto. Auto. munitions, your, your uh, OC spray, um, and then you can see at the top there the number of journalists, uh, the press that are there to cover it probably almost equals the number of people that are actually well, involved in Which is strange the because
0: action. most of the media was at the ellipse where Trump was speaking. So who were who these journalists?
1: There were quite a few who were at the Capitol the entire day that were, were stationed there. So I don't know if, if they were expecting trouble, but in that case, and that was a fairly early skirmish, you can see that, that there was a lot of, uh, lot of press there. Does this change
0: what we saw previously at all? Does this add any additional context to what we reported previously?
1: Well, it it does in that by getting the the aerial view from the very beginning when the crowd first popped over, we were able to spot those initial uh, fist fights and the, the lashing out at the police. And then the first uses, the first actual uses of munitions were earlier than I think we realized based on video that we had from on the ground.
0: Well, and it seems significant to me that you had these 100 Metropolitan Police who were not there from the get-go, who only arrived after that first uh, act of violence.
1: Metropolitan Police staged a large number of police with short distance from the Capitol. I think they were concerned there might be trouble. They were actually able to get there very quickly uh, and they moved in and like I said, it was really only three, four minutes after those first munitions were fired. And they, You can see here, were very aggressive in pushing the crowd back, and they started using uh, the pepper spray, um, and as we'll see in a minute, they started uh, throwing concussion grenades. Some of those had rubber bullets in them, some of them had tear gas in them, and they had pretty good concussion force. You can see the crowd yeah. widen, spread out when those things started. And then after that, once we saw this, it didn't let up for an hour. This
0: they, the, they were using munitions. For four, hour.
1: Uh, both shot from above and tossed from from the same level as the protesters. And as you can see here, you, you could see the reaction, the anger, and they're not leaving, which of course is the goal when you use these kind of munitions, is to drive the crowd to leave they actually come up and start engaging the police and throwing things. In. Well,
0: it doesn't look like the police are trying to disperse them. They're just throwing munitions into the crowd. Is, that, is, that, is this what we're watching?
1: It, it certainly didn't have the effect of trying to manage the crowd or get the crowd to do something. There was no any more push out from the police. And so what you saw was a, the pot coming to a boil. What it does is puts it into context, you know, so we can uh, previously, we, we were just getting what we could find open source or what was released by the January 6th Commission uh, that were very selectively put out there. Uh, so this gave us the first chance to look at places we wanted to see and watch things from the beginning.
0: Hmm. We, it looks like the majority of the crowd is still relatively peaceful now, well, when just, you... despite that. And of course, they haven't broken past that police line here either yet.
1: When you consider the sheer number of people uh, that were there, uh, yes, you know, even when there was trouble, it was still a percentage small amount of the crowd. This is Roseanne Boyland. She was a uh, the was the last person that died on January sixth. Yeah, of course,
0: uh, for our audience, four people died that day, two from heart complications. Of course, Ashley Babbitt shot by Officer Bird. Roseanne Boylan, they claim, well, you, you tell, of course, how they claim she died and what we, we watch, of course.
1: Yeah, she was um, someone that wandered into the tunnel entrance to the Capitol. And, you know, she came up from the ground level and went into the tunnel, which at that time was very peaceful. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there was some gas released on the crowd, and then pepper balls were fired at them. And it, it set off a panic and a stampede. The witnesses told us the oxygen in the tunnel was sucked out by this chemical that was released.
0: Which is why you normally don't use it in enclosed spaces like that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. use of force experts, including the one that was in our, our initial film, said that that was very dangerous. So there was a stampede out and we thought she tripped, but now what we found out from her family is that she was shot in the chest with a pepper ball. Uh, and those things go 300 feet per second, so. She was
0: shot in the chest yes. with a pepper
1: And that's what caused her to fall. And then she, of course, was, I don't know if I would say she was trampled, but she was compressed under just a wave of people that fell on her.
0: So this is at the tunnel we're watching right now?
1: Yes. Save her life. You can listen to the crowd pleading with the police.
0: So what are we watching here? Well,
1: eventually uh, bystanders did CPR uh, and when they weren't having success, they brought her back to the police line and set her down and said, get a medic. They insisted. So,
0: So they're asking the police for help here. Yes. And we're, we're looking at body cam footage, I suppose. They're dragging a police officer. Is that the crowd? Or is it-
1: well, this was, was a little bit earlier. Uh, when Roseanne first went down, she was unconscious. She was, uh, she was attacked by a Metropolitan Police Department officer who had taken a walking stick off of a protester and turned and did three... Overhand strikes on Roseanne.
0: Yeah, we, we showed, that, of course, in the documentary, yes. the officer who struck Roseanne when she was unconscious,
1: and the officer was pulled back into the tunnel. Well, you can see here, that's Roseanne. Yeah, she's that being hole. dragged away by bystanders. Well, eventually, the officers did grab Roseanne by the legs and pulled her in, uh, pulled her inside the Capitol. And at this point, the story dramatically changes. That she yeah, but, immediately gets medical attention that she wasn't getting outside.
0: So, for our audience, you know, we, we blurred it a bit because her chest was exposed. She's unconscious, of course.
1: Yeah, she lost yeah. much of her clothing while she was being dragged inside. But there were uh, two medics from the U.S. Park Police that immediately took command of her uh, of her CPR, and that went on for ten minutes, and then. This is where we picked it up with the security footage that is new.
0: Well, th- this, this seems to be pretty new because we were told different stories about what happened when she was brought inside. What were we told previously compared to what
1: we're seeing now? Well, there was testimony before Congress that she was carried into the majority leader's office where CPR was done. And the, what this shows is that she was taken directly from the basement up one level to what they call the crypt. And we saw her just now being pulled through there. Uh, and she was brought out right in front of what they call the house wing door.
0: I see, so this, this does suggest at the very least that it contradicts some of the testimony that was given then.
1: It, and it contradicts it the, could, it could contradict the it first reports. report that Capitol Police gave that she went down in the rotunda. This absolutely proves that was not true. And you'll see her coming down the hall shortly. You've know, so you you got some of the-
0: Large number of uh, police
1: here. Yeah. yeah. You've got protesters that have been arrested that are being brought through. And as she came through the, the crypt, past the memorial door, I see. And she, just, she ends just up just so
0: we know, too, because people might wonder, well, did we use a camera? Did they actually bring it to the speaker's office? What's the timestamps? The timestamps line up closely enough to where you yeah. you'd know they would not have brought her there. There wasn't
1: enough time. We don't have there weren't cameras everywhere that they they had to carry her up some of the stairs and there were not cameras. The stairs, but there was no time. uh, When you look at that, and so so
0: the time is close enough then, where it's uh, it it would not have been possible for them to bring her. And
1: would have been no reason to do it because they were meeting the paramedics, and they immediately took took charge of her care.
0: Well, we're seeing two different sides of the police here too. I mean, outside, of course, there's violence. We saw an officer strike her unconscious body several times. These officers seem very dedicated to actually trying to help her.
1: Yes and at this point the uh, the DC uh, Fire and EMS had arrived with their advanced life-saving equipment and and this was very new and it it shows the level of care that she was getting and I know that this meant a lot to her parents because they didn't know because they did not have any conclusive proof of what happened to her when she when she came inside.
0: Well I mean, I, I understand there were conflicting reports between the official coroner and the coroner hired by the family on the actual cause of death. So what were the conflicting reports?
1: Well, the, the, the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner ruled that she died of an amphetamine intoxication. basically she take, was on Ritalin, Taking yes. too much of her Adderall oh, prescription. Adderall, She'd been on it for a long time. She actually hadn't taken it for at least 9 or 10 hours. So the family immediately uh, said that's that suspect. Their forensic pathologist said she died of manual asphyxia that she was from crushed. The, the crush. Do um, we
0: have video backing that? Do we have anything that well, suggests we, that is the case?
1: We certainly know that she was crushed. However, during uh, the life-saving measures, we also know there were signs of life just because the medics were calling out about certain types of respiration.
0: Now, I understand some people would say, well, evidence she was crushed, but they were giving her CPR, chest compressions, for what, like 40 minutes or something?
1: In total, it was over 60 minutes. Over 60 minutes. And, you know, the rule is once you start CPR, you start chest compressions, you don't start, or you don't stop until, you know, a doctor or someone with that authority calls it, you know, as in that the person has died. And that did not happen until she went to the hospital so this they gave her every opportunity and you know they set up an iv they were monitoring her heart they were giving her epinephrine to try to stimulate her heart so this is this is very significant footage and is, you know, very, obviously very dramatic
0: now why did it take so long for the uh, the uh, ambulance to arrive
1: well, that's one of the big questions that I had, looking at this. Why didn't they just take her directly to the ambulance?
0: Well, and normally, if there's an event like this, you would have you know, ambulances on hand. If you go to a show, like a concert that's a fraction of this size, they'll usually have it on hand. Why is that not here? Well,
1: they did have a rescue squad there. And the decision, based on their own internal policies, and they explain, uh, they explain this basically that your best chance is to be treated on scene and it is not to go directly to the ambulance and head to the hospital. And that is why they kept her there and kept working her on scene, that that statistically gives somebody the best chance of life. So, so, so
0: they really did to the full extent of, of what they could? By the book, by the absolutely. Book. Yeah, here we see the ambulance, right?
1: Now, eventually they did put her back on the gurney and take her back through into the law library uh, where she was uh, rushed out to a rescue squad and you'll see that here they move her out very quickly
0: I see now, now in terms of the footage we've gotten on this what was the process of actually putting this all together you had to know where she was and which many camera. many
1: so. hours of finding the right camera angles watching it it, it very painstaking and it, it takes quite a while to assemble this but you'll see she comes at this is from the exterior and the ambulance, just beyond those pillars, is waiting with the doors open. And they load her up pretty quickly. Now, it still took them 25 minutes to get from here to the hospital. Wow. You know, I, they said there was traffic, but we saw video where they went one way, then they doubled back and went another way. Uh, you know, I don't know why they did that, but it, it was a longer trip, and she got to the hospital at 6 p.m., and they did work on her there. They they actually shocked her heart. There was some signs of so she was fibrillation. still alive technically. Uh, yes, they kept treating her as such until six oh nine when everything failed. And I think they they had she had been down a long time ninety minutes at this point. Something else that we discovered, or actually her family pointed out in one of the photographs that was in a recent story. was a a massive bruise on her left shoulder. And you can see that there, it looks like a red shield. Uh, And we don't know what caused that. Some some sort of an impact, but because it has a shape, um, we're looking back now through all the body cam to see, because we know that a police officer actually fell on her when they were dragging her in, tripped and fell on her. Um, What's significant is that that injury was not documented wasn 't documented uh, at the hospital, they said no signs of trauma, uh, and the medical examiner didn 't call that out as an injury. I know the family has has questions, and they 're going to do some more study on that but um, so yeah, that was a very big surprise to us
0: so in other words, conflicting reports, evidence that something was not properly documented and really some uh, some video evidence as well that really does raise some serious questions and whether the whether what the coroner said is is actually the case maybe that it does suggest there should be more investigations to the that, real cause of her death absolutely
1: I think her family wants to do that and we're certainly going to continue to follow it
0: so we've seen this woman in the news quite a bit lately the pink beret uh, we do know that she's in Thailand which is kind of a odd part of the whole story mm-hmm. Uh, We know she was there that day, January 6th. It is believed that she led at least a few people into the building, at least suspected of. They're trying to arrest her. Why is she significant?
1: Well, she first came up in a defense case earlier this year because she led uh, one of the January 6th defendants into the Capitol. The two of them, or she went around collecting some of the police equipment that was on the floor and put it into a bag and handed it to this gentleman. This is, the, this is what the defense presented in his in his trial. They wanted to call her as a witness. But of course, they, could, they didn't even know who she was at the time. And so we wrote about her and she was just known by a hashtag, Pink Beret. Well, the more this got out and the more people talked about it, uh, eventually, the FBI put her on their uh, most wanted page,
0: so in terms of the footage we have now what 's the significance of it
1: well it shows uh, it shows her with this defendant in the visitor center and it shows them interacting and the picking up the the police equipment which the defendant took and gave back to a police officer, which is an issue that was raised by so the,
0: so the defendant, of course, being accused of this. Handed this bag of equipment gathered by her handed by her to him and he immediately hands it back to the police
1: and He was charged with other things and and he was found guilty of a number of charges in his trial But the the defense attorneys felt this was significant because of the role she played they alleged she played they wanted to be able to question her Uh, in Within hours of of the FBI putting her on its website, they heard from a former boyfriend who identified her, Uh, then they had her name, and uh, they started ostensibly looking for her. But then they announced charges uh, were filed against her for misdemeanors. Uh, Even though she was seen, I mean, literally with like a director's wand, this way, this way. So, uh, you know, very suspicious behavior, but, FBI, it does not appear, is going to go after her overseas uh, to bring her back to face misdemeanors. So it, it,
0: it's very, it's very strange some of the way the charges have been done. Uh, people getting felony charges for just walking in the building or even outside the building. Others videotaped being, you know, leading people in and playing and entering, getting charged with misdemeanors. Well, she, uh, she
1: ditched this defendant at one point. His attention was diverted somewhere. She took off her beret, she ducked down, she got on the escalator, crouched down and took off and he had no idea where she went. So, you know, she, she ditched him in the visitor center and went up to another level. Eventually she's seen on camera with uh, speaking with other men. We don't know the, you know, the details of that, but uh, the video is very interesting, let's put it that way. She was seen in many places that day and was noticed particularly for her mode of dress and the, the pink beret on her head uh, and the high heels. You know, we, we have video of her running across when the, the initial breach happened, sprinting across the grass. Uh, in those shoes. So
0: she was at the initial breach then. She
1: was. She was back in the crowd when that happened. In high
0: heels in a beret.
1: Yes. Her story is very interesting. I mean, she has not been arrested because she is not in the United States. It was a very unusual way they handled it. They announced charges, which they almost never do. Usually they get a court seal on cases. And then after the arrest is made, the person's in custody, and oftentimes they've made their first appearance before the Justice Department announces. Uh, but she is overseas. Uh, uh, we understand that she's in Thailand uh, with her husband and, and a nine-month-old baby, and does not seem that the government is interested in pursuing her. She's charged with four misdemeanors. So we'll have a lot more, There's some, some very interesting video on, on her day. This is Stuart Rhodes. Stuart Rhodes is the founder of the Oath Keepers. They are popularly called a militia, even though they they absolutely uh, disavow that term. But it's an organization of of veterans and law enforcement officers who took an oath to defend the Constitution. And we know
0: that he was sentenced, of course,
1: Yes, he was sentenced to 18 years in prison for seditious conspiracy. What's significant about this video that we're watching, was never shown to the, his defense team.
0: So his lawyers didn't have this no. video. The, the video we're watching right now, his own lawyers did not no. have, it. and
1: he had not seen it. Uh, he, he has. I've described it to him on the phone. I've done interviews with him, and um, he was very troubled that that this video was not presented to them, because what you can see, if you carefully watch him, he's trying to use his phone, and it certainly appears that he's having no luck. You know, He'll hold it up in the light. What they testified to is they were trying to contact other Oath Keepers saying, come to us, don't go in the Capitol, which so this is- This is
0: what they said and claimed, but they didn't I assume have evidence to prove it.
1: Well, they, they, they both told the FBI that, but this video is previously unreleased and was not shown to the defense and it does it backs up what they told the FBI and also what they said, both of them, under oath during the Oathkeepers trial. trial. Um, so this this will be interesting to see what the, what the defense team does with this video.
0: So why why is this significant? Well, you know, what's the importance of this?
1: Well, anything that's potentially exculpatory, that would be favorable to a defendant, is supposed to be turned over to them by the prosecution. And in this case, something that could be highly significant Uh, was not, Uh, that, again, backs up a story that he he told the FBI, you know, in 2021 and then also in 2022 during his trial. So, uh, the kind of thing... So, in other words,
0: this shows that he was, in fact, doing what he claimed he
1: was doing. Is that accurate? Precisely. And under Supreme Court precedent, they're supposed to turn those things over. And so this is going to be, I'm sure, is going to be raised as a potential point in, in an appeal.
0: Where are they at? Do we know?
1: There's, this is uh, the northwest. It's on the upper terrace. And they stay there for nine minutes. And one of the things we noticed is that a hand comes up into the camera view. This this camera was not far off the ground. It was uh, probably on a light post.
0: Well, we can see it's about level with this light post next to it. Right. Yeah.
1: And the hand comes up and moves the camera because Stuart Rhodes will walk off really walk off screen here and you know if you watch you actually can see a thumb
0: we we can still see him and then yeah there we go looks looks like a glove of some kind yes and And so somebody is moving the camera yep as he notably when he moves off camera exactly someone moves the camera
1: that's what interested us is that uh it certainly appeared to keep him in view of the camera I asked the the, uh, Capitol Police Chief at the time, Stephen Sund, if if he had any reason to be surveilling Stuart Rhodes, and he said he did not. Um, But he was doing other things that day than watching video. But we're still looking into that to see, uh, are there other places on the Capitol grounds where he was the focus of these overhead security cameras? This will be an ongoing investigation of ours.
0: This is, I assume, inside the Capitol building?
1: You can see the the uh, the crowd fills in. There are some police blocking the hallway, but you can see that some of them are beyond highly agitated. You know, I think screaming would be a good way to describe this. Well, there
0: was a big question of what did the people do who actually did enter the building. I assume this is closer to the front line of those individuals.
1: And what what you see often the people at the front are the ones that are causing the trouble.
0: Looks like you have just a couple officers, at least as far as we could see, uh, meeting them. There's no notable violence. What are we watching?
1: A lot of venting of spleens from some of the people uh, in the crowd that basically they want, the people that were talking, wanted the police just to move, stand down and let them go wherever they wanted. Um, And of course, the police were, were not about to do that. Uh, and in some of these instances, then the crowd would just, by sheer kinetic force, would just push through. And there's really nothing six police officers are going to do to stop three or four hundred people that are backing up behind them. So, so
0: we you see the crowd yelling at the officers, getting a little aggressive. The officers look like they're cooling it down. More, actually more officers than than initially it seemed. Looks like there's a pretty good wall of them as well
1: now. Yes, it was amazing how quickly the building did fill once there was an initial breach on the Senate side. You know, hundreds and hundreds of people. And we'll see some of these faces in some other significant places during the day.
0: The ones at the front, you mean?
1: Yes, and and some that were further back. Uh, There's a lot of faces in there that ended up playing uh, various roles January six. Well
0: this is one of the big questions people had was it seems like the people who were breaching the lines causing the violence leaving the crowd they seem to appear in multiple places during the day and they seem to be kind of, kind of the ones causing most of the mess it seems. The small number of people really who did the majority of uh, the problems. Yes
1: and what we don't know is agitators that may have either took it upon themselves to kind of spark some sort of a a conflict uh, or people maybe that were suffering with some mental health challenges i know some of that has come up in some of the cases um, or if it was just purely anger over the over the election but you can see how they they pack in here very tightly
0: yeah well i can imagine it doesn't look like they're they're pushing too much there's further further back now But I could see how that could easily turn to a stampede if it went wrong.
1: Yeah, And you can see here, right there, the gentleman that just got slapped upside the head is Zachary Alam. And he played a very big role in the hallway where Ashley Babbitt was shot. I know
0: I can recognize several individuals here, uh, yeah, including Zachary Alam and a few others as well, who were right by the door where Ashley Babbitt yes. was shot later, yep. in the, later in the day.
1: Yeah, most of that group came out of this initial confluence of people
0: mm.
1: and eventually this crowd is going to spread throughout the capital like I said they they do push through down towards the house and when that happens they're trying to push yeah, through. yeah you can yeah, see here, here.
0: so they did push they did push through yeah. there
1: this is a little bit later when they start to push people out and the Capitol was largely secured by about 345 in the afternoon
0: so roughly what time was the breach of the Capitol compared to the time when they evacuated got the people out of
1: it. the first people that crossed into the Capitol um, was not long after two o'clock you know but maybe about 220 uh, people that broke windows and came through on the Senate side as you can see here there was after Ashley Babbitt was shot at 245 that changed the atmosphere in the entire building they brought a lot more police in, including heavy armed t- tactical squads from uh, ATF Uh, and other federal agencies that they pushed any of the people they could find into the rotunda. Uh, And then other police in the rotunda just literally physically shoved them out of the building. Um, And then they went floor by floor, clearing in, in really very dramatic fashion, clearing the Capitol. And so the upper levels were empty of protesters much earlier than I think people would realize. So, and, so this is where the police moved them to, yes. I see. And any people that were in there and this group that they pushed out of the hall, they've herded them. And most of these are Metropolitan Police Department. Their goal was to clear this rotunda. I think there was great concern about getting control back after after the shooting. That, uh, that set a lot of fear in many people, including the police.
0: These individuals, were they arrested? What did they do with them after they brought them here?
1: Well, they were driven out. Now, later, a lot of these folks were identified from video and, uh, and were or are being prosecuted. But at this point, they just want them out of the building. And that's what they did. And you can see some of the uh, some of the tactical squads that start to move.
0: Who are we watching? Uh,
1: this is Simone Gold, Dr. Simone Gold. Uh, she was
0: one of the scheduled speakers that day. Actually, one of the lesser talked about facts. There was a scheduled event at the Capitol building. They had scheduled speakers and including a speaker's area. And so the speakers who went there, of course, found that, well, the thing was off, basically, and right. uh, they were not able to hold their event. So, So this is the sweeping team. This
1: is where they start sweeping the building. And as you can see, they have their guns raised. They've got lights on. They're moving methodically.
0: Yeah, well, they, look, they look pretty serious. Yeah, actually. and we've,
1: we saw this in different places uh, on the upper levels of the Capitol.
0: So this is after the police initially cleared it. And this is the team heavily armed doing right. a full They need sweep to confirm
1: there. that the building is empty and they de- declare each level secure. And like I said, by about 345, the only people left were just inside the Columbus doors. And all those other floors had been secured by police. So the time window that's much smaller than uh, in terms of inside the Capitol.
0: Much smaller than what it's been what it's been framed as typically.
1: Right. I mean, even even if you look at the the entirety of the campus and the problems that occurred, uh, you're talking uh, four to five hours. But inside the building is it's a much smaller time window. Um, well, of at-
0: course different areas at different Right different and, and, and at this
1: point they know uh, and we heard this on the radio traffic that that this level is now secure moving on to this level This is Jacob Chansley who was popularly uh, well,
0: he, he's become kind of the face of the entire protest in a some way
1: The QAnon shaman Yeah yeah dressed up in his uh, in his getup and he came in, he was one of the first people in when the, the breach in the Senate side occurred. Um, and what, what we'll, we see in the video, we, we're going to have more of this in another episode, but uh, he approached police officers, not with violence. He asked them, can we be here, If basically, if we behave ourselves? And he engages in some, some discussions with the police and then turns around and tells the people behind him that let's be respectful while we're here. Well, uh, and this,
0: this does seem to show that at the very least, different groups of protesters were of very different nature. So
1: and, and including people some,
0: who actually breached the building.
1: Yeah, and there are some people in this group, um, like Dominic Pozzola, uh, Proud Boys, who ended up being uh, very high-profile prosecutions. But the other thing you'll notice here is the number of press photographers who were readily available when this group moved up onto this floor. Uh, Which I,
0: we didn't see in some of the other areas, actually. No, they seems. were,
1: many of the photographs are iconic, including some of the ones of, of, uh, of Jacob Chansley. Wait, someone
0: just fired, was it a, a fire extinguisher? was a fire extinguisher?
1: extinguisher, yeah, and that kind of dispersed the group.
0: Mm, that was a protester with the fire extinguisher yes.
1: there. Yes. There are two gentlemen in this photograph that are significant. On the left is Lieutenant T.K. Johnson, He's the police officer who evacuated the U.S. Senate the on one, his own. The one
0: accord. who was not told to do so but took it on his own volition to do it. Because before, he, actually before the crowd arrived. Which yes, because he was action.
1: not getting any answers uh, from his superiors. And there is Michael Sanger, who is the sergeant at arms, the law enforcement official in the Senate. Uh, and there's T.K. There's Johnson there. This is shortly after he had decided to do the evacuation. Now you're gonna start seeing the senators come streaming down. Uh, he brings them down from the Senate level.
0: And- I see, so what's the significance of this?
1: Well, the timing of it, um, and this is what he told us, he feared that a crowd, an angry crowd, could be unpredictable if they come face to face with the U.S. senator. Um, you know, especially if it's somebody that they identify as from the other side, that there could be trouble. There might be shoving, pushing someone down, that it would get ugly very quickly. And he was determined to avoid that. Mm -hmm. And I think by a matter of seconds, by the time they got all out, that crowd was just about to the Senate. So it was as close as you could possibly cut it.
0: Wow. So he acted pretty much within within maybe several minutes or a very short window of time.
1: If he hadn't, there, it could have been a very different story. And you see he left off there and he went over now to evacuate the house. Uh, and he was ordering that over the radio. So, but you
0: And he wasn't told to do that again.
1: He did no, this on himself. No, he was not given permission, which he asked for. He was not given any feedback. And there's Patrick Leahy uh, being helped down so you'll see, and they went down into the subway and then they were evacuated, but it, it uh, like I say you you couldn't have cut it any closer. Mm. And of course, TK Johnson was suspended from Capitol Police and uh, was kept on kept on leave for seventeen months.
0: Despite that, he was put on leave. Yes. Well, it seems like one of the big stories there is, you know, why was there not more police presence? Why were there not no-climb fences? Why were there, frankly, in some regards, less security than you'd see at like uh, your average mid-sized, you know, music concert? What happened?
1: Well, the command center, which is kind of the nerve center, uh, the war room, if you will, uh, where they control all the cameras. Um, That's where this direction should have come from, incident command. And this is where uh, Lieutenant Johnson was radiating to when he asked for permission. He was looking for someone very high up, and he says it was an assistant chief, Yogananda Pittman, that he he was looking for that answer from.
0: Well, Well, and this is important because we've talked before about, you know, of course, Trump authorized the deployment of the National Guard. He can only authorize when he was president The decision to actually deploy them would have had to have come from again the mayor or someone else but the 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 other question is command and control and what this story suggests is that there was issues there as well
1: Capitol police were heavily criticized by the congressional committees that looked into this for a failure in communication with their rank and file who were out face to face uh, and were in the midst of what became rioting um, that there wasn't that feedback or direction. And, and indeed, in the case of the evacuations, and what could have been more important that day than to be getting the elected officials out of harm's way, uh, was getting silence. So it was, it, was cl- it was identified as a clear failure, and not just with that instant, but throughout the day, a lack of communication, um, both from the command center and with some of the commanders around the ground.
0: Well, which is what we talked about in our documentary as well, previously, was that it looked like there was kind of a failure in police command at some point. And so you had officers essentially getting in fights, it, it, it appeared at least with the crowd, and the command had basically collapsed to some degree, in some areas at least.
1: And there are many police officers who felt they were set up and uh, not supported with that kind of communication. The police chief, was very occupied with trying to get mutual aid and trying to get the National Guard. He was totally focused on that. He, he didn't watch much video, so he didn't control he was, many he cameras. He was trying
0: then to get additional yes. forces. That was his main focus. So
1: it was the level below him, the assistant chief and the and the deputies, that where that, that burden falls upon them. Well, and so
0: that, then a big question is, if if the reason why there was a breakdown in police command was because the top commander was. Get additional forces. What was stopping the deployment of those additional forces, especially, for example, National Guard, and especially beforehand as well? What do we, what do you know about this? Well, this
1: has come up in in congressional hearings just in the past couple of months. Um, some of the Republican committees that are looking into this want to depoliticize policing, is that how much of a role politics played uh, in the the difference? in getting the National Guard. The concern about optics, um, and I know that Stephen Sun, the police chief at the time, uh, was just beside himself trying to get uh, to wind through what is a political process up through the sergeants at arms uh, and to get permission. So I mean that that's the backdrop, and then you have the command center where things are, are not being managed on the ground. Uh, and, and of course, the result was was a lot of chaos. This is Officer Brian Sicknick, he was he is of
0: course the one, the initial reports were claiming that he was hit with a fire hydrant or fire extinguisher. Media were reporting, they claimed that the protesters had killed him. And that was the big story plastered all over the media. Later we found that probably was not true. But there's still a lot of mysteries around it. So. What are we we seeing?
1: Well, there were were two uh, January 6th suspects who were largely blamed for his death. I mean, that was the the public discussion and the media discussion. Julian Cater and George Tanyos, this is Julian Cater, um, who was carrying a small canister, a personal canister of pepper spray. And he did spray it at the police line. And we know that he hit some of the officers. The security video that we reviewed showed a very big surprise. Well, uh,
0: I see the Trump hat on the left. is yes. that the individual who's accused?
1: Yes. And then, if you look at on the right, that's Brian Sicknick, who wandered into the crowd when they started pulling the barriers down. Who's
0: this individual charging the police line right here? We watch as well. That's, that's a good this?
1: question. Someone who who appears to be about seventy, yet moves like like a linebacker in the NFL. And but he gets pushed back fairly quickly, yes. I believe. Yes. Well, and so. he got pulled away by somebody who came out of the crowd uh, wearing dark clothing, and he disappeared. So,
0: but, you know, another thing that seems very strange here is if we watch the full scene, it looks like the distance between Officer Sicknick and the man accused of spraying him. It's, it's quite, quite a
1: ways, actually. And that's the question that I'm sure um, the defense attorneys are going to take a look at. They did not see this video. So this was withheld? This was. Not shown to the defense. Uh, for the, the
0: lawyers did not have this no. video. So, you
1: know why I don't know, but you can clearly well, see th- why they would be interested in at least investigating because it raises the question of was it pepper spray. Yeah. Now he was standing right next to um, Jason Badshaw in the white shirt, who was. Wielding a high-velocity tank of pepper spray, and spraying it right next to his you face. You had 30 mile-an-hour winds that day. I don't know which direction they were going at the moment he pulled pulled the trigger on that pepper spray. But
0: well, because we can see the officer was spraying it very aggressively, directly in front of Officer Sicknick. It's
1: like a garden hose. So, you know, what, what we can't tell from this video is how much of that plume might have affected Officer Sicknick, um, or was it? this stream, and it was a fairly small stream from the handheld that Julian Cater oh, was using. From a fairly large distance. Yeah.
0: Well, Joe, it's pretty interesting stuff, and uh, I mean, pretty serious as well. Uh, of course, this is just the first batch of videos we've we've been able to get of the unreleased footage. I know that you've been very actively requesting others. We're still waiting on a lot of it. And for audience, uh, we'll, of course, be releasing that as we get it. So we will hopefully have many uh, other episodes like this, showing what took place that day. Uh, Joe, I know that even the videos we don't currently have, you've seen them, a lot of them at least, and I know you're still doing your investigations on this. Based on now having done the reporting you have, the documentary we did, and now seeing the videos that we couldn't
1: get access to before, has
0: your understanding of what took place that day changed?
1: It, It's broadened, I would say, and... In- enough that we, we know the value in getting more of this video out. Uh, we've only seen parts of it, we've only been able to investigate certain times of the day. We have much more to do, but in the time we did spend, we made some significant discoveries. Uh, so we know there are uh, important newsworthy uh, events that happen on the video that have not been publicized before, and I think it's important for journalists but also to have the public to have a chance to uh, to crowdsource some of these things we've seen some of the some of the best discoveries in January 6th uh, came from just the internet you know kind of the hive mind of the internet investigating things and that's that's going to be an ongoing issue people want to challenge to get more of this available online which at this point, it's, it's in a secure environment, but we're going to continue to, to dig into it. But uh, we want to get a big picture. We want to understand how things developed, how violence developed, and, and any trends that we might see. And, uh, you know, clearly, this is worth digging into more because uh, we still only have a partial picture.
0: Well, and it seems significant as well that we, in the short time we've had access... We found many videos that uh, defense attorneys have not been able to get their hands on that have been withheld that could be considered exculpatory evidence. Again, we'll see how they end up using it. But that that seems pretty serious if during a small time we were able to see evidence that was withheld from the attorneys.
1: This is gonna be of great interest to to people who are are still being prosecuted and quite frankly ones who have had their cases adjudicated that they might think, Uh, They missed something, or they weren't presented a piece of evidence that that could have changed the outcome. Um, So those are all questions they're going to have to wrestle with as more of this footage gets out.
0: In terms of the media narratives, you know, of course, depending on who you ask, it's a very different story on January 6th. What do you think the footage shows about the way the media has been covering it?
1: Well, throughout 2022, when the January 6th committee was doing its hearings... Uh, and they had, there were a lot of instances where they used selectively edited things. And what, what this does is it puts a lot of those things in context, things that they didn't show, uh, like the entire Roseanne Boylan story uh, was not given a hearing on national television. Uh, so the, the more that we're able to, to flesh these things out in perspective, you know, what context are extremely important. This is going to help. Uh, accomplish that. Whereas previously, the video was controlled uh, by the January 6th committee and by the Justice Department under court seal. Well, Mm -hmm. this opens it up quite a bit.
0: Yeah, so the full context does show a different picture than what the public was, I think, convinced of in some instances. And it's
1: going to change narratives uh, no matter what your political perspective is. That sometimes accepted narratives on the right are going to be debunked by we've already seen that, um, and other long contended situations pushed by the left well, yeah. may may also be debunked. But you know what we're after is the truth, no matter which side uh, the, of the political spectrum it's on.
0: Yeah, well, not, of course, the case is that the you know evidence has been withheld, and so you know we've been working with what we were able to get. In terms of our documentary, our reporting previously, does this change any of what we reported? Does it add any additional context to it?
1: It does add some context to it. I don't think it changes what we reported, uh, but we're able to start building a more detailed timeline in terms of what happened first and what it might have led to. And so, and that's what has been missing was a detailed timeline of the day based on video evidence you know not a short clip from someone's cell phone but from the the unswerving eye of, of a security camera mm-hmm. so you know that is as we do more and more is released and other media outlets dig into this as well uh, I think it's just going to broaden the perspective of the whole day
0: yeah, it's a lot more work to do and to, indeed yeah, we'll, we'll be doing a lot more work as well and so Joe it's always a pleasure working with you and pleasure having you on
1: thank you for having me